This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. Dr. Temple Grandin grew up with autism in the 1950s when the disorder was not well understood. She did not talk until she was three and a half years old, and back then many children with speech delays were institutionalized. But her mother refused to let that happen, so took her to the world's leading special needs researchers at Boston Children's Hospital, and that led them to a neurologist who suggested an early form of speech therapy, which allowed her to enter kindergarten with her peers. Dr. Grandin went on to earn her bachelor's degree in human psychology from Franklin Pierce College in 1970, a master's degree in animal science from Arizona State University in 1975, and a doctoral degree in animal science from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in 1989. Her first book, Emergence Labeled Autistic, published in 1986, provided what was at the time an unprecedented exploration of how people with autism think and perceive and navigate the world. It also helped break down years of shame and stigma for people with autism because she was one of the first adults to publicly disclose that she was autistic. Dr. Grandin is now a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, and her insights on animal behavior have revolutionized the livestock industry because of her unique understanding of cattle behavior. More than half of the cattle in North America are raised and processed in systems designed by Dr. Grandin. Over her career, she has written scores of scientific papers and more than 25 books, including her latest, Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. She was even the focus of a semi-biographical HBO film called Temple Grandin. She joins us today in advance of her upcoming talk on Saturday, January 7th at 1.30 p.m. at the Christ Community Church in Fort Myers. It's part of the nonprofit Family Initiatives Redefining Autism Speaker Series. Let's hear that conversation now. Dr. Temple Grandin, welcome back to Gulf Coast Life. It's great to be here. So what do you spend most of your time focusing on these days? Is it the academic work? Is it the autism outreach? Is it still working with animals? Well, I'm doing a lot of all of those things. Um, Autism outreach, um, still doing some research, and still getting out into the field. But one of the big things I'm really interested in right now is to see the kids that are different, that are labeled autistic or some of the label, get into good careers that they can really like. That's something I'm really interested in. And I discuss that in detail in my new book, Visual Thinking, which, by the way, did make the New York Times bestseller list in hardback. Real happy about that. Because I'm seeing too many smart kids that think differently. um, They're just kind of going nowhere. Because nothing's been done to like teach them working skills and also develop some of their their abilities where they might be really good at a career in something like working with animals or photography or mechanical things or computer programming. Do you think that more kids who are on the spectrum nowadays are given some of that training than there would have been a decade or two ago? Have we made some progress, at least in that regard? Where we've made the progress is on early intervention. We've made a lot of progress there. There's a lot of services available in the schools, but I don't think we've made that much progress on employment because I have granddads come up to me all the time and they discover they're on the spectrum when the kids get diagnosed. And that grandfather might be an engineer or an accountant or a pharmacist or some other, you know, really a decent job. And why is that happening? Autism is a big spectrum. You're going from Einstein to somebody who can't dress themselves and I'm going to be dressing mostly right now the fully verbal kids. 
but I see too many parents um, overprotect a kid. I'm talking a fully verbal kid here. And you've got teenagers that have never learned shopping or bank account or doing laundry, just basic life skills, learning how to save money. I was doing that when I was a very young child and they aren't learning those things. You know, so we need to be doing a lot more life skills training. Uh, and in my book on visual thinking, I talk about different kinds of thinkers and how they might be getting along in the school system. And this is another big area that I'm concerned about. I'm an object visualizer. Everything I think about is a picture. Absolutely terrible in algebra. Couldn't do algebra. And I'm seeing that as a barrier for a lot of students because they can't pass algebra. But when I was out all the time on construction sites and we were uh, working with uh, skilled tradespeople building these great big um, meat plants and other things, about 20% of the people I worked with were autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD. And a lot of them didn't eat, barely graduate from high school, but they were patenting and selling complicated mechanical equipment. Another thing that my kind of mind's good at is art, also photography, both TV and movie, and uh, working with animals. Now, another kind of thinker is the visual spatial. This is your mathematics kid. This is your traditional STEM kid. They're going to do really well in all the mathematical things. But I'm seeing some of those kids where they might be super good at math and they're not given harder math and they get bored. And then you've got a verbal thinking kind of autistic that loves lists and figures and facts about soccer or movies or whatever his favorite thing is. So those are kind of the three different thinking types. And I present science that shows that those exist. Now, most so-called normal people are mixtures of different kinds of thinking. Um, I was going to ask this later in the conversation, but you kind of just teed it up. If you had to guess, how much of what we think of as the modern world do you think was either invented or created by people who are on the spectrum, probably even before we knew what that meant? Well, years and years ago, I said it was some guy with a autism that made the first stone spear because everybody else was yakking around the campfire. And I find certain things really interesting to talk about. And where most people, it's all about emotions. Where I've had friends as shared interests, it could be animals, it could be uh, building things. These are places where I have friends and shared interests. And I'm going to guess there's a lot of invention, both mathematical things and um, more skilled trade and art things. There'll be more my kind of mind. There'll be people on the spectrum, or maybe people with ADHD. There's a lot of crossover there. I worked with a lot of dyslexic people. I know a whole dyslexic family that built big, complicated feet mills. This is one of the things I get very frustrated with as I go back and forth with, with the educators. Educators have no idea what goes on in factories. So when I talk about things like visual thinking, highly verbal educators kind of just don't get it in some cases. The first step is you have to realize different kinds of thinking exist. And you saw in so-called normal people, there's much more mixtures, so it's less important. But you get a kid with a label, they tend to be really good at one thing and really awful at something else. And we have too much emphasis on the thing they're bad at and not enough emphasis on the thing they might be good at. They could turn into a career. What were you really into when you were, say, in middle or high school? What were your um, you know, areas of interest at that age? Horses and then cattle. Now, this gets back to a very important thing. In order for a kid to get interested in something, they got to get exposed to it. And some of the people I worked with that built and patented equipment, they had a single welding class in high school. And that's how they got their career started. I think one of the worst things the schools did is taking out all the hands-on classes, cooking, sewing, theater, woodworking, music, welding, auto shop, technical drafting. Those are all classes we need to be putting back in. 
Because if you expose kids to things, then they can find out if they have an interest. You can't get an interest in something you never get exposed to. What led you, you mentioned you loved horses when you were younger. What led you to what turned out to be your career in animal sciences? Well, I came from a non-agricultural background and and I didn't get exposed to the cattle industry until I was a teenager. Now, I can tell you, I originally wanted to do aerospace. I'm a total NASA geek. I couldn't do the math. Still have never passed algebra. So I majored in psychology to avoid a bunch of math classes because when I took a physics class, I had to drop it. I had to drop on a programming class. In fact, I had access to the same computer that Bill Gates had access to, and he could do it and I couldn't. And I had to drop a biomedical engineering class. But what I learned when I got out in industry is there's this whole bunch of engineering that gets done in what's called industrial process equipment. This is mechanically complicated equipment in factories. And it's not done by the degreed engineer. It's done by the guy that may have just barely graduated my school, but grew up using tools. And you see, they, they invent mechanical things because they can see how they work. In fact, now there's a lot of equipment we don't make because the people I work with are retiring. But you want a poultry plant. You want uh, tomato uh, processing equipment. You want a uh, pork processing plant. That equipment's all coming from Holland right now. Hmm. And the reason why it's coming from Holland and Italy is because in ninth grade, a kid can decide to go to the tech route and they don't stick their nose up at it. What people don't realize is that visual thinking, the kind of thinking that make you good at something like a very high end skilled trade is a different kind of intelligence. They just see how things work. So would you say then that the increased focus on what we consider to be STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, needs to be broadened to include what you referred to before, auto shop, carpentry, yes. things like that? Well, the other thing is don't make my kind of mind take all these higher math classes. I simply can't do the algebra. And I think that some people that push the algebra, I had one person tell me that you need that for logical thinking. Well, I don't think with algebra. I can tell you that right now. And people I worked with that had 20 patents each, they couldn't do algebra either. And they're selling specialized equipment around the world. And the problem is a lot of the people I worked with aren't getting replaced. They're playing video games in the basement when they ought to be doing things like fixing elevators. I've been doing a little survey on how much gray hair is on people fixing elevators, escalators, and airplanes. Last two mechanics that came on my flights, they were both gray. And about two-thirds of the people fixing escalators and elevators have been gray. Yeah, who's going to replace them? You see, they can see how it works. You know, I was just having a conversation with a coworker today, and he was talking about some younger people that he knows that he assumed would be high-tech in terms of their understanding of technology. But they kind of know how the machine can be used, but they don't understand how the machine works. So, like, I grew I'm 50, so I grew up in computers, putting them together, getting them, you know, understanding what goes on under the hood, if you will. And I think there's an analogy there where, you know, younger people these days, they can solve a problem, but they don't know how the problem's being solved, if that makes sense. Well, I can understand how the stuff works. I had a monitor that had a piece of garbage for a power supply in it. I know I could have fixed that monitor and it finally ended up getting thrown in the garbage. And I feel kind of bad about that. I knew exactly what was wrong with it. It needed a new power supply. You see, that kind of stuff, I understand. I just was too busy to fix it. Hmm. I still feel bad about when the day that went in the garbage and it shouldn't have. I can relate to that. Um, yeah. And, it, it, and I know how to solder. I could have taken it apart. I could have built an external power supply for that monitor. 
I know how to do it and not get electrocuted and process. How has your own personal understanding of autism and what's now referred to as autism spectrum disorder changed over the course of your life and career? Well, when I was young, a child had to have speech delay in order to be called autistic. Then in the early 90s, they put Asperger in, which is basically socially awkward with no speech delay. Now they've combined the whole thing all together. So now you've got somebody out in Silicon Valley or Einstein at one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got somebody who can't dress themselves and has very severe problems. And it's all called the same name. I think this is kind of a big problem. See, when the kids are little, I looked very severe when I was three. Very, very severe. So you don't know. You do your early intervention and you hope they're going to learn to talk. Some of them are not going to learn to talk. Now, there's some nonverbals that can learn to type independently. And they actually have a locked-in syndrome and a good brain in there. And they describe problems with sensory scrambling and with problems with difficulty controlling their movements. Uh, and then maybe some others where that's not true. But they you see a verbal thinker tends to overgeneralize. How do we teach autistic teenagers. Well, uh, it depends. Somebody like me needs to be going out and getting a job. Uh, see, the, the, the situation I'm in now is I'm a person that's going back and forth between the autism world and an industrial world. I mean, I've got meatpacking plant clients right now that can't find people to fix stuff or build things. Uh, a lot of the companies 20 years ago shut down their internal engineering departments, big mistake, and then shop classes got taken out of the schools. Now, some states are starting to put it back in. Texas is one of them. I think Minnesota has a program. But don't say, well, you know, the stupid kids uh, get put in shop. I worked with too many people that were really smart, but it was a different kind of intelligence. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guest. Dr. Temple Grandin is a professor of animal sciences at Colorado State University and a world-renowned animal behaviorist and autism activist. We're talking with her today in advance of her upcoming talk this coming Saturday, January 7th at 2 p.m. at the Christ Community Church in Fort Myers. It's part of the nonprofit Family Initiatives Redefining Autism Speaker Series. If you'd like to engage with the show about today's topic or any of our episodes, just use WGCU social media or on Facebook and we're on Instagram. I'm going to pivot here to a little something a little bit more personal, if you don't mind. I learned okay. that you're really into science fiction. What are your favorite books, films, and TV shows? Well, I loved uh, Space Odyssey. I can't wait to see the new Avatar movie. Uh, Star Trek was a total star classic Star Trek fan. I loved Mr. Spock because he was logical. That's one of the reasons why I loved him. Um, I, 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 not to get too personal, but uh, last year I watched all of Star Trek from the original series through the most newest thing back to back to back. I didn't watch anything else for four months. Oh, that's a, that's a bit much. <laughs> you know, and I like and I like Next Generation, and then I don't think some of the later shows were quite as good. Um, have you seen the new documentary on Amazon about the Opportunity Mars rover? I've, I've been following a lot of stuff about Mars rovers, but I haven't seen that documentary. You should check it out. It's a really human take on like, you know, it was a 90 day mission that turned into a 20 year mission. And they, you know, they just have documentary footage of the scientists that probably some of them are on the spectrum. And oh, how I think they were. I remember one time I watched a documentary and it was a really young kid that looked totally autistic, and he'd worked on one of those rovers, and he was just so happy about it. And I go, that guy's on the, on the spectrum. 
and they were just so happy when stuff worked and you saw them in the control room all happy jumping up and down and clapping and hugging each other. Some of the most fun stuff I ever did was figuring out how to build stuff. So I can totally relate how they felt when the Mars rover worked. You see, that's the kind of emotion. I get really into that sort of stuff. And the other thing, while we're talking about Mars rovers, um, I've been showing educators some slides that show the cameras that are in the um, Mars rover that's up on Mars right now. And they have hand-done wiring on them. Somebody built those on a workbench. There's hand-done wiring all over those rovers. That's the people in the shop. And the mathematicians get it there, but the people in the shop build it. And that often doesn't get enough credit. I was just reading today about the new fusion experiment, and they had to have this little round thing that was perfectly round. I wonder who made that. I wonder if it was a guy in the shop who made this perfectly round thing that would make the fusion experiment work. You see, this is where we need both my kind of mind that can't do algebra and science and the mathematicians. We need them both. And we, let's go back to the food processing plant or the meat plant. My kind of mind did all the clever equipment, packaging machinery, all kinds of mechanical devices. The degreed engineers did boilers, refrigeration, snow loads, wind loads, power and water, the things that require the math. I saw that division of labor at every single meat company I worked with, and I worked with every single one of them. Uh, you'll definitely like the new Opportunity Rover um, documentary because uh, they really do go into the balance points between the engineers, the builders, and the scientists and the mathematicians. It's it's really fascinating. Well, you see, you need the whole team. And where we're losing skills right now is um, there's autistic kids playing video games in the basement when they ought to be working on, on things like building a Mars rover or even things like just keeping a factory running or... Um, elevators running. I've been on some very questionable elevators lately that have not been serviced. Scraping in the shaft, doors not working right, and skipping a floor at this one hotel. And the bellhop goes, oh, we get that floor on the way down. That was this September. Um, you mentioned earlier your newest book. What was the title of it again? The title of my new book is Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. And one of the big things I talk about in this book is a skill loss issue, especially with my kind of mind that can't do the math requirements. You know, I wouldn't be able to graduate high school in, in California. And when I did a book signing out in California, they had it in a school. And I talked to the principal and he didn't even know what visual thinking, uh, object visualization, my kind of mind was. He didn't even know it existed. And they have a lot of math requirements there. I did read, you know, several times you were describing the way you visually think. Is it the same as a photographic memory for you or is it different? Well, it's like a series of photographs come up, like I store pictures. I don't remember every hotel room I stayed in because I care less about hotel rooms. I just remember the really dreadful, the really weird. I tend to remember that. The average uh, Fairfield or, you know, one of those kind of hotels I don't remember because it's so much the same. And I also don't care about them. But it, it's like uh, photos coming up in my mind. Um, now, I have to work on downloading it because when I first went to the first big meat plant back in the 70s, when I looked out over the whole production floor, I go, this is so complicated. How does the plant manager understand it? And I was visiting this plant like every Tuesday afternoon. And by after about a couple of months of visiting it on Tuesday afternoons, I kind of videotaped the whole thing into my head. But that didn't happen instantly. And I would tend to pick out details. I remember the first detail I picked out, and it's really kind of silly, was a really clever little cart for hauling a 55-gallon barrel. 
What was it about it that stuck out for you, or is that just happened oh, to be the thing so, that stuck it out? Just, it was so simple and clever. And it had a hoop that went over the barrel. And somebody had just made it in the maintenance shop. From what I've read, you you didn't have very good time in high school or even middle school or probably even before that. When you were that age, could you even have imagined the kinds of things you would go on to do? Because you've really you've made some you know deep impacts on a lot of aspects of modern life for a lot of people. No, I would have it was beyond my wildest dreams. But basically, it was step by step. One thing I was good at was seeing doors to opportunity. In the HBO movie, there's a very important scene where I go up to the editor of our state farm magazine and I get his card because I knew if I wrote for that magazine, that would really help my career. And that also got me press passes to get into big national meetings for free. And I got a reputation right away for writing really good articles about, um, you know, cover the cattle feeders meeting and, and cover it accurately. And I was a good writer. I couldn't do algebra, but my writing was decent. Because teachers marked up my work and and made me do book reports. So I learned how to summarize. But I could see doors to opportunity. And then I I met other people that had helped me get ahead in the industry. But I started out slowly. When I was in high school, I had a little sign painting business. And then some of the skills I learned there, I learned to show a portfolio of my work. So I don't care if it's signs or it was uh, cattle facilities. The way I sold jobs was to show my drawings off show off photos and and give them trade magazine articles. In other words, I sold my work, not myself. That's something I really recommend. Making portfolios of your work. And you want like a 30 second wow to show off your programming, show off your photography, you know, whatever the thing it is that you're good at doing. This is, I hope you don't mind this question, but I I understand you really like uh, Phantom of the Opera, the soundtrack. When was the last time you rocked out to it? Well, I um, went and saw it about uh, probably 10, 15 years ago in New York. That was really wonderful. Um, I used to play it in my car on a CD, and, and now the car player no longer has a CD. So I've been playing a, a classic rock station and a country western station now. Hmm. Um, you mentioned art. Do you still make art? Is that something that's part of your like life and daily routine? Well, it was a very, not now, but it was a very important part of my life in elementary school. I had three classes I loved in elementary school, sewing, art, and uh, uh, woodworking. In fact, I was the second girl in my class to be allowed to take woodworking. And I loved making things. You see, and when some of the skills I learned in sewing applied to designing cattle facilities, the only difference is the material is hard rather than soft. But it's a lot of the same skills. Um, how often do you do speaking engagements like the one that you're uh, doing this weekend? Well, I, I, for COVID, shut everything down for a year. Then after I got vaccinated, I got back out on the road again. You know, I've got a full schedule in January. I've got uh, the Fort Myers talk. I've got a state cattlemen's association. I've got a big veterinary conference. I've got a tech company I'm visiting in January, a travel company I'm visiting in January. And those are live presentations. Do you now and then, of course, during COVID, I did t- lots and lots of Zoom calls. Do you do those off the cuff, or do you have something that's prepared that you follow along to, or you know something in between? In my live presentations, I usually normally have PowerPoint presentation, and I have a PowerPoint presentation now on my new book on visual thinking. And one of the questions I ask in this book is, what would happen to some of the geniuses in the past, like Einstein or Tesla, when the uh, not the Tesla car, but Tesla 
long time ago who invented the power plant. You know, these people probably were autistic. Michelangelo was probably autistic. Grubby little 12-year-old that dropped out of school. What would happen to him today? Well, he'd probably be playing video games in the basement. You know, I think this is something we really need to think about. Einstein would land in an autism program because he had no speech till age three. Where would he end up? Well, I appreciate you helping us try to frame that question and the work that you're doing. And unfortunately, we're out of time, so I have to say goodbye. But I want to thank my guest, Dr. Temple Grandin, is a professor of animal sciences at Colorado State University. She's an author, a world-renowned animal behaviorist, and an autism activist. Dr. Grandin, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us today, and I hope you enjoy your visit to Southwest Florida. Okay, thank you so much for having me on the show. Dr. Grandin will be giving a talk this coming Saturday, January 7th at 1.30 p.m. at the Christ Community Church in Fort Myers. It's part of the nonprofit Family Initiatives Redefining Autism Speaker Series. You can find links to more information about that event, which is open to anyone and registration is not required, on our website, wgcu.org gcl. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1 and WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida. <laughs>